how yesterday's contraindication became today's indication. Welcome to ED ECMO. Welcome, welcome to ED ECMO. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is ED ECMO. Hello, ED ECMO. Uh, it is our new season. We have started off with uh, a whole new series of episodes after a little bit of, of downtime over the fall and the, and the winter. And today I have with me um, just uh, such an unbelievable person. Justina Small, thank you for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. So Justina, as you know, she is she is so active in the uh, ECMO community. She is involved in social media. She is involved in research. She's involved with publishing. And Justina, today we are going to talk about so many things and primarily associated with the idea of trauma in use of ECMO in the traumatic patient. But Justina, before we even get to that, I know you have been working on this project so long that is going to really change the game face of trauma. Can you tell us about it? Yes. Thank you for mentioning our uh, trauma addendum to, to the ELSO registry. It will be an extension in the ELSO registry remaining like a translation between trauma community and, and the ELSO and ECLS ECMO community. So we want to merge the patient data we have on ECMO and um, some more detail, details regarding trauma and anticoagulation. And we hope to deliver some more evidence for ECMO, ECMO in trauma. Yeah, that's amazing. This is just going to be so good for us to be able to delineate all these and pull them out from the other, from the other components. And it is with just like with every kind of registry data, you have the this problem of do you how much information do you ask for? What is the right information to ask for? How do you get this to to really lead to useful conclusions? And I think that is a big component of this whole trauma topic because VV ECMO for trauma is different than eCPR for hemorrhagic shock. And so teasing those out, and then even within those, those big categories, you have issues with trying to figure out which patient is which. So Justine, let's dive into this. I know that you are a believer in the use of ECMO for trauma, but let's kind of carve it out. So this VV case, the idea that you have maybe ARDS, maybe some other component, tell us, do you think that ECMO for these traumatic patients with, with the needs of, of oxygenation and ventilation, do you think that this offers improvement? Definitely. And, and you have to distinguish uh, between the emergent indication for respiratory support. It's such a kind of like for tracheal or bronchial, bronchial rupture or foreign body obstruction, also hypothermia and near throwing. And then you have some kind of dynamic indications. It's uh, more for allowing a lung protective ventilation. And there is a case series um, report in, provided in, by Trivedi, uh, like in SIO. We commented this with uh, Jeremy Cannon and David Tonis. So they reported a case series of, of patients. And I believe it will be the indication it could be a game changer in ECMO support in trauma. And this is what, what I also have done in, in my previous affiliation, Bochum, Germany, this trauma hospital. So we, we definitely tried to, to keep the patient protectively ventilated. And if it was not possible, we concerned to put them on ECMO. 
and it's it's always of course the consideration of of benefit versus risk and and what we observed is the benefit for patient uh, in single organ failure before all these multi organ failure like a second organ renal failure start, started so it's it's also the matter of of timing in this case oh that's such those are such great components so even within vv ecmo you've got this very different population of the choking tracheal bronchial injury versus the ards but tell me the numbers is this is this comparative to ards and sepsis and, and non-traumatic indications so what what i think that there are several several departments where trauma patients are supported on ecmo but the numbers in each department are still very low. So there's a problem with the evidence. And, and the, the largest population which was reported and published was our publication with David from 2017 about, from the ESO registry, the first paper. And we reported 270 patients and it was less than 1% of the uh, whole population in ESO registry. And for this reason, I believe people put patient in, tra- in trauma on ECMO, but we, we don't have the kind of, the, we, we have only case series and, and the reports or the cohorts we have, the populations, they are always about 50 patients or, or something during the, ten, the period of 10 years. And this is, this is the problem. And this is the indication why we need the registry and, and the addenda. So good. So in comparison to non-trauma patients, do you feel like this is a, the outcomes are comparable? Of course, of course. So what we know from this um, last publication and, and also uh, another cohorts, VV ECMO and respiratory support in trauma is 60% uh, survival. So it's similar to non-trauma. There's even our publication from Bochum, uh, from my colleague Ul and colleagues, and, and we compared our trauma patients to non-trauma and, and have the similar results. So 60% survival is similar to non-trauma. And even more, there are some reports about 70% survival, but it's very selective. It must be a very selective indication, but, but it's, it's also a good indication. And, and uh, for, for respiratory support, we have a young patient with less comorbidities, probably no anticoagulation in the medication. So it's, it's a perfect indication. For VA, uh, cardiac uh, or circulatory support, we still have 30% survival. And it's also similar to a non-trauma. But in this case, there are some more pitfalls and due to hemorrhagic conditions in, in trauma patients, because those patients need surgery mostly. And, and ECMO is in this case more than like a bridge to, to intervention. And for eCPR, 20%. And it's exactly similar to non, non-trauma. So that is just, I mean, it's just crazy to think that the eCPR data would be, I mean, I know the data is poor, but that the outcomes could be similar for a hemorrhagic cardiac arrest where we know the outcomes are just horrible. Somehow we could have similar outcomes to what we have in our cardiac arrest population. I want to dive into that more in a second. Before we do, 
Justina, can you just take me through in your mind, what is it, what does this, this VV ECMO case look like? I mean, I know not, not that the choking episode, but like the patient comes in, they get their, their traumatic injuries. And then when are we thinking, yes, we should pull the trigger and put this patient on VV ECMO? Yeah. So normally what we know patients, so something like a fall from five meters. So it will be a blunt trauma, uh, maybe some kind of, of course, pulmonary condition, both sides, and like contusion, both on both sides, left and right, and, and then a bleeding in the tissue, small bleedings, not uh, very actively. And this patient remain um, stable for two or three days and, and then starts uh, worsening on a for five days and because we we still ventilate the patient and then maybe also proning and then the vasopressors um, dosage is increasing and we need more and more so the parameters and ventilator settings parameters are worsening and ventilator settings are increasing we are besides um, lung protective ventilation so PEEP is high and we are on um, 80 or 100% of FeO2 and then the plateau pressure is above 30 and more and more ventilation. It's, it's just, okay, the patient may survive, but it's also non-lung protective. And in this case, if the vasopressors are increasing and we cannot achieve the improvement in this condition, I would put such kind of patient on the ECMO. And this is what, what also was, was reported in this last SIO publication. And do you have like an FIO2 to O2 ratio or something that you, that you use as a criteria to say, yes, we should go or no, we shouldn't go? Oh, it's still the same like uh, the ELSO criteria because we don't uh, want to have the hypoxic uh, patient with non-protective uh, lung ventilation. So I, I believe some everything w- which is less than... PO2 less 80 on 100% uh, FiO2 and extremely high plateau pressures, extremely high PEEP. It's when you should start to consider the ECMO and I believe PO2 of 60 is the lowest. So it's it's like I, I do not wait anymore. Mm. This is this is what, what the patient will make it hypoxic and, and it's it's just dangerous for the patient. And, and for, for another reason, um, it's also, you know, this um, hypoxemia, it's not only hypoxemia to the brain, it's because uh, the persistent hypoxemia goes to tissue hypoxemia and uh, it's for the whole body. And this is first step for the multi-organ failure. So the second one might be the renal failure. And, and we also, we, we are uh, at this point, probably in the uh, circulatory failure on, on vasopressors. And it, this is how it, it, it's the start of the, of the end. And so do you have an idea? I know the data is not good, but do you have an idea of what kind of mortality benefit you give to that patient by putting them on ECMO? At 60, so we, we don't, do not have the comparison between 60 or 80. But uh, we do have the timing comparison, and it was one publication in 216, I believe. This was Bossage, Bossage, and, and they compared early initiation of ECMO in 15 patients to historical controls, 14 patients for trauma with severe RDS, and uh, found out the lower mortality 
uh, in the early initiation of ECMO. So it was uh, 13 versus 64%. Mm. And it, it was uh, propensity matching and, and regression, of course, regression analysis were not performed. And this is also a small population of the patient, but it, it is, it might be the, the right direction in, in this um, ECMO protective issue in, in trauma. So if I had to sum it up, your experience plus your understanding of the trauma data would suggest that early VV ECMO for significant lung injury post-trauma offers a quite substantial benefit in mortality for these patients. Probably, yes. So we do not have any guideline for this. We are working on this, on the guideline, and hopefully we will um, deliver more evidence with the registry data and and with um, some kind of reviews and, and the guideline. So I read through some of your papers and there's, there's so much interesting stuff in there. One of the things that I didn't really appreciate was the idea of putting in the neck cannula for head injury. Tell me about that. It's very controversial. So traumatic brain injury and ECMO is, it's not a contradiction in itself, but it's very controversial. So, and, and we only have case series about this. So the last one was 13 patients, 13 patients reported by Parker from uh, Maryland, Baltimore. And of course, so putting the, the patient on VV, you have to be aware of obstruction of jugular vein and, and the ECP uh, increase um, due to jugular cannulation. So probably for those patients, uh, the femoral femoral uh, cannulation might be beneficial. And um, what we have to, to mention in this, um, so some people suggested to, to have a better CO2 control for uh, TBI patients, and um, it may be also um, the issue, but I'm not, I'm not sure if it's if the risk of bleeding on on ECMO uh, for head injury patients, if it's really the benefit um, to put them on ECMO for CO2 control, and and definitely if those pa- patients go on ECMO and and are supported on ECMO. It should be some kind of happening on anticoagulation free run. The most feared complication is the bleeding. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's one of the interesting things. And and I know you know the literature much better on me than this, but but from Dr. Arlt. And uh, I think that's from similar area in Germany to you. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Um, So, yes. So I've been um, previously working to Regensburg uh, before I, I moved to Bochum and I remember the first patient, it was published by Professor Bein and, and uh, from Neurosurgical Intensive Care Unit. And they, they used ECHOR for CO2 control in those patients. And it was even more tricky because ECHOR is without a pump. So the risk of clotting is much higher, but it's, is a kind of evidence for this, and it's no more experimental. So I, I believe for very selected patient group and very careful considerations, um, some patients may benefit of, of extracorporeal support, especially in combined injuries like, you know, blunt on penetrating trauma, especially lung injury, 
and concomitant head injury. So this is this is which is probably more should be more considerate for ECMO because of the lung, not because of the brain. And but I mean, one of the one of my questions for you is: Do you have fear in p- placing people on ECMO without systemic heparin? Um, no, but it, clotting may happen, and and it also was happening to me. And so the worst thing can happen is is just the ECMO doesn't work. So what I, I what I would suggest is to have the system which is pre-primed with anticoagulation because of, okay in Europe we usually use heparin and, and bivalorudine is is um, the, the use of bivalorudine is, is increasing in the US. So we, we just um, talk about anticoagulation and, and I would always try to keep the system primed with anticoagulation. And, and then, I mean, if the patient is in a kind of a coagulopathy, uh, you can give him heparin and, and you can't. And it's the same for head injury. So it's, uh, it's always, I don't want to say it's like a Russian roulette. It's also not a kind of luck. It's something like experience. And uh, because for, for those patients, you ask me also for, for the flow on the ECMO. So if you, if you want to avoid the clotting, you have to choose a bit more flow. And, and then, so I'm not fear about the clotting and about, about anticoagulation-free run. And also what, what you have to do is to check the oxygenator and the cannulas uh, more intensively, maybe twice or three times a day, not just only once, to, just to avoid the clotting and to detect uh, the clotting very early. Okay, so we're talking about the oxygenator getting filled with clot. That's a problem, but it's not the same problem as having a you know clot going to your arterial system that you send in and creates an embolism. Yeah. So on VV ECMO, totally agree. And then I guess the question really, because this is one of those papers that I have never, I haven't really been able to wrap my arms completely around it, where they said, even when we gave anticoagulation, systemic anticoagulation to people with head bleeds, it didn't seem to get worse. What's your understanding of that? Yes, it, it, indeed, it, it's a kind of true in this. So I, I would use a kind of term like uh, homeopathic um, co- anticoagulation. So it's it's more for the oxygenator. It's not for the patient. And as I already mentioned, there are multiple case reports. So more than hundred. In, in trauma patients, we found and published in our systematic review ex, extracorporeal life support in hemorrhagic conditions. And we also review the anticoagulation uh, strategies and the majority of, of those patients were supported on ECMO without anticoagulation or with a, just a very low homeopathic target. That's excellent. Okay. So if I, I'm going to try and sum some things up and tell me if you think differently on these, a patient that comes in that has traumatic injury, uh, has pulmonary contusions and uh, maybe some small amount of bleeding, you would run that patient with systemic heparin. Is that correct? It depends on, because, because as I said, it's, it's always an individual decision because even a stable patient may get coagulopathy due to hypothermia or um, 
something unexpected. So I would always keep the target. So, so uh, what, what we did in Bochum, we never uh, run heparin with a target of PTT of 80. Never. So it was like less is more. And, and we tried just something like PTT of 60 or less of 50 till 60 using heparin and PTT targets. Not we, we, we just um, targeted on PTT. So it's, it's like just a less is more strategy. Oh, I love case. it. Okay, so you, you kind of use the titrate up method. If they can tolerate lower, then we're going to use lower. And if they need more, yes. we'll just sort of add it on as, as we need. Yes, but you, you don't need to overestimate and you don't not need to push this full anticoagulation. Just it's always the balance uh, between, between both. And, and probably it's, it's, the issue is what you said before, we have to distinguish between respiratory uh, support and VV ECMO, which uh, in case of clotting, you still can ventilate the patient. And worst thing that happened, worst case scenario is, of course, any clotting events on VA and cardiac support. Um, so it's because then the resuscitation and CPR is the only way to, to keep the patient uh, alive till their oxygenator uh, change or cannula change or whatever. So also you have to distinguish between these both um, modes as well. Okay, maybe we circle back to this question after we do eCPR because I think that'll that'll tie it in. But that is that is really good stuff, uh, Justina. So let's go to eCPR. Mortality, you said, is similar to non-traumatic arrest. Describe this patient for me. So what, in your mind, when, a, when you think of eCPR for trauma, what, what happened? Yeah, so patient is coming in, intubated. So EMS, very excited uh, because the patient is unstable. So there is a very short handover. And, and we see the patient probably dead. So, you know, it's, it's like for non-traumatic eCPR, the same way. So if you do nothing, this patient will not recover. And, and the decision for um, eCPR and, and VA ECMO cannulation in, in traumatic bleeding, mostly bleeding injuries, uh, it can, can be also penetrating trauma, but it, it's still bleeding. And this is what is the mainly cause for this circulatory arrest. So this patient is arrested and, and you have to make an immediate decision to put him on the ECMO or to let him die. And, and the decision is driven by concomitant irreversible injuries. So you, you, you may keep this patient on CPR with mechanical devices like uh, Lucas or something, but it even may get worse because of the bleeding. And the, the only Difficult decision is always uh, the concomitant uh, brain injury, because I believe for such kind of concomitant injuries, if it's irreversible and, and hypoxic and, and or uh, traumatic brain injury, we should not do this. And if there is a kind of limb like a limb amputation or even penetrating injury or pelvic trauma, with you cannot compress um, the bleeding. So you have you need a tool to bridge the patient to the intervention. And for this kind of uh, uh, intervention, ECMO is perfect. 
So you put the patient uh, pelvic bleeding or, I mean, limb amputation uh, or whatever, put him on the ECMO and he's, the patient goes to OR or um, interventional radiology and will be stabilized. And then uh, you may remove the ECMO very quickly because there is no cardiac failure in this case. You just use uh, the, the circulatory support to, to protect the organs, to protect the brain and to remind and restore the circulation. And this is, this is the perfect indication. However, those patients, we, we don't have a lot of patients with, uh, I mean, gunshots is not a topic in, it's not, not a problem uh, with, with Europe. So we have mainly kind of work-related injuries, uh, maybe a fall or, or any kind of, of other penetrating injuries. And, and um, such kind of condition are rare. So it's, it's not like every week. It's, it may be uh, three times a year or something. Okay. So, so patient comes in. Yeah, we won't use the U.S. example of gunshot wound, unfortunately. But let's just say that there's, it's a blunt injury. They've got a, a splenic lack and they're bleeding intra-abdominally. Uh, and they now get so, they get so shocky that they end up going into traumatic arrest we put in some cannulas and at the same time, I mean, this is, so we're sort of delaying time to the operating room. We are going to be able to hopefully transfuse better through the ECMO cannulas or tell me about that. Tell me about massive transfusion protocol. When do I put those cannulas in? When do I make the determination that we are actually not going to go to the operating room? We are going to stay here and do eCPR. Um, or probably you you also may go to the OR, uh, so operating room and then put the patient on on the um, ECMO in the operating room and then perform the surgery. So it's 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 not an issue where you put the patient on the ECMO. The, the issue is probably when and then I would tell. So if the patient is bleeding and if it's circulatory arrest, uh, you have to decide now and to put him now. And, and you are not the, the only one on the scene. So you have uh, hopefully um, some people who will help you with a mass transfusion protocol and, and then with the cannulation and, and with all this stuff. So it's, it's always the teamwork and, and probably the best way is to train such situation during simulations to be prepared for, for this kind of patients. And, and mostly, I mean, tragically, uh, as you mentioned, gunshot wounds and, and trauma, penetrating trauma, those patients are very young and, and we may rescue them. And in this situation, I, I would like to talk about rescue because it's, it's, it's just uh, rescue management of the last chance um, for those patients. Yeah, you truly are taking someone with, you know, near 100% mortality and bringing them to something that's a young patient that potentially is, is much better. So I love what you just said about going to the operating room because, yeah, that's, that makes much more sense. So you do all these things in, in parallel. I guess one of the other questions, and given the mortality is so high in blunt arrest or even in traumatic or, or, or penetrating arrest, one of the questions is that what if there's an inferior vena cava injury? What if I make it worse by putting in the cannula? What if, what if there's a femoral, a pelvic fracture and the anatomy is different? Can you just kind of talk about those sort of considerations? 
So you also may have or may, may, may use fluoroscopy. And, and this is the, the most safest way to put the cannulas in, but it's, it's not always available. So ultrasound as well. And, and sometimes it's like, yeah, it's, it's like a, just a decision and you cannot have, I mean, you may, you may perform the CT scan very quickly, probably, uh, but, but all this stuff is, is really depending on the situation and decision making. It's, it's also very depending on the situation and it's always teamwork and consideration. Okay, so let's get back to that previous question. This is great. Uh, let's get back to the previous question of anticoagulation. So someone comes in hemorrhagic shock or uh, uh, traumatic arrest. Would you, would you anticoagulate them? No, as not, not obviously. It's, it's, I would prime the ECMO uh, with any kind of anticoagulation, heparin or BV or whatever, but there is no obvious need for anticoagulation in, in, uh, in unstable patient. Perfect. So, this, so if I could sum this up together with the both the, your mantra of less is more is, is probably good for both of them. So for eCPR, a systemic anticoagulation, not indicated priming of the pump with anticoagulation is reasonable for VV ECMO starting off with a low PTT and then moving up as needed is a reasonable strategy. Would that be a good summation? Yes, definitely. And, and the same for, for VA. Probably, probably for VA, you would um, start a bit earlier and, and not wait so long. But for the first 12, uh, 24 hours, I mean, and um, even after, I mean, for, for hemorrhagic shock, you don't need the ECMO, VA ECMO uh, for seven days in those patients because in, in kind of hemorrhagic shock, you have to stabilize the patient. And if the patient is um, stable due to mass transfusion or surgery or both or interventional radiology intervention, then it's stable and there is nothing wrong with his heart. So he is not in the cardiac failure. So it was just a circulatory arrest. So in this case, you may uh, remove um, the ECMO quite um, quickly and you should uh, wean the patient and to avoid the over distension of the left ventricle and, and remove ECMO very quickly. And, and uh, the next point is in, in this case, what may happen is due to the mass transfusion that those patients are at the increased risk for post-transfusion RDS. And, and for this reason, you may switch to, to from VA to VV. So you will keep the drainage cannula and, and remove the return cannula from the artery and put the return cannula to the venous side for respiratory support. Yeah. So these these cases, I mean, we when you sort of just, like I'm thinking in my mind about being in the trauma room and deciding to put this patient on VA ECMO, uh, in traumatic arrest, it's, it's, it comes up all the time for us. And we're kind of in that state where we, do we do this or do we not do this? And you sort of think this is just a futile thing. And then you read some of these papers and I reference this paper often on our EDECMO site, but the, that page paper from Korea, where they talked about these traumatic injuries that just seemed 
like cataclysmic um, problems, like, you know, um, cardiac yes. rupture, aortic rupture. And these patients are walking out of the hospital. It's just, it's so fantastic that it, it, it seems that this needs to be explored more. Definitely. So tell us what else, what are other things that we need to be just cognizant of from a management standpoint, or just when we start trying to undergo a a project change in our department, what should we consider with use of ECMO for trauma? So maybe once again, just step back to to this uh, hemorrhagic condition and and intra-abdominal bleeding. So you have to be aware about the occlusion of the drainage cannula in case of unstoppable bleeding and, and hematome. So the, the, the laparotomy and, and the damage control surgery um, have to be performed immediately. Then um, take home messages from me. I mean, ECMO and trauma is always the individual decision and it depends on patient needs, the, the indication and injury pattern and, and a kind of organ failure if there is a circulatory arrest inclusive and depending, of course, on, on respiratory or cardiac or circulatory support if it's needed. Trauma is the best example how yesterday's contraindication became today's indication due to our knowledge and evidence. And uh, 20 years ago, probably nobody believed that we may rescue uh, so many um, so many patients in, in such hemorrhagic conditions, for example. And, and circulatory arrest. Anticoagulation is a topic and, and issue, and it always has to be adjusted to the patient condition and, and uh, parameters uh, we have. And so we, we may have an anticoagulation-free run for some hours or days. Um, intensive oxygenator checks are obligatory. And then the, we have still some more controversial indications such uh, as concomitant um, traumatic brain injury or pelvic fractures, uh, pelvic bleeding. And in these cases, especially uh, pelvic bleeding, intra-abdominal bleeding, uh, rebor may be um, a new game changer. And, and of course, we need more evidence and registry data. And for this reason, our trauma addendum in ELSO registry is open for data entry. And I would welcome your your support and uh, appreciate it. Thank you. Well, Justina, I mean, thank you for putting this together. And just, this is, I mean, this is, this is what this needs, right? If these case reports are true, then we need to have a much more aggressive strategy in traumatic indications for ECMO. And if it's not true, then we don't need to do it. And so this registry, I think, is the, the biggest step to really answering those questions. Really, definitely. Thank you so much. Oh, it was so great talking with you, Justina. And, and I, I think we'll have to, well, I definitely want you back on the show again so that we can kind of figure out uh, even some more questions. I know some of our trauma colleagues will be out there uh, wanting to get more specifics and wanting to kind of figure out, okay, how do, how do I make this happen in my institution? And so definitely um, email me or email Justina and we can, we can kind of work this out and, and figure out you know, what are the next steps to putting together a, a traumatic ECPR uh, program? And with that, uh, we will uh, thank you, Justina. Thank you for your time. Just so appreciative of all that you do for the ECMO community. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah.